Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.07 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 20th of January, 2021. There's got to be some numerology in there somewhere. This is episode 349 of Bitcoin, and let's get straight to the bad news. Trump did not pardon Assange, Snowden, nor did he pardon Ulbricht. Asshole. Scott Cipollina is writing this for Decrypt.co sometime very early this morning. President Trump has issued a flurry of pardons on the last full day of his term. The list of those pardons include co-founder of Breitbart News Steve Bannon and rapper Lil Wayne, Edward Snowden, uh, Julian Assange, and Ross Ulbricht, all three of whom many hoped would be on the president's list, were not pardoned. President Trump issued 73 pardons and commuted the sentences of 70 others today, including former campaign advisor and co-founder of Breitbart News, Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon was charged with lying about how donor contributions would be used amidst a campaign to build a wall along the United States-Mexico border. In addition to Steve Bannon, Lil Wayne has been pardoned after pleading guilty to gun charges in Miami that would have seen him face reportedly up to 10 years in prison. Lil Wayne was also said to have backed President Trump's re-election bid in 2020. Trump also pardoned Ken Curson, get this, a formal, former Ripple board member who was charged with cyber-stalking his wife. Curson founded crypto publication Modern Consensus and ran several public, uh, political websites. Curson previously worked with Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani on a book. The presidential pardon is a power granted to the president to pardon any federal crime at any time during their term. Pardons have long, have a long and storied history in the United States. One of the most controversial pardons came in 1974 when President Gerald Ford pardoned former President Richard Nixon after he resigned amidst the Watergate scandal. President Trump has already pardoned over 80 individuals during his time in the White House, including former campaign advisor Roger Stone, former National Security Michael, uh, advisor Michael Flynn, and former campaign manager Paul Manafort. Usually, presidential pardons generate plenty of debate, but today, some of the names that were left off of the pardon list are causing the most controversy. Among those names are WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, former CIA employee Edward Snowden, and Ross Ulbricht, creator of the famous dark net drug marketplace Silk Road. It sold more than just drugs, people. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange is accused of conspiring with former U.S. Army intelligence analyst Chelsea Manning to breach the United States Espionage Act. He has not received a presidential pardon. According to Assange's lawyers, he faces charges because WikiLeaks exposed evidence of war crimes. Well, that's just journalism, so I don't know what you're bitching about. Maybe don't commit the war crimes. Honestly, don't, don't put your people in a position where they can commit war crimes. 
and all of a sudden you don't worry about this shit. Earlier this month, Assange avoided extradition to the United States after a British judge cited concerns over the state of his mental health. Quote, I find that the mental condition of Mr. Assange is such that it would be oppressive to extradite him to the United States of America, District Judge Barrister said on January the 4th, uh, uh, 2021. I know I pronounced that wrong, but whatever. The judge also added that special administrative measures which can be applied in U.S. facilities when inmates are judged to be a risk to national security would deteriorate his mental health even, even further. Quote, I am satisfied that in these harsh conditions, Mr. Assange's men- mental health would deteriorate, causing him to commit suicide. Barritzer said... Just f- days after what was a big win for Assange's legal team, <clears throat> however, Judge Barrister declined Assange bail, saying he still has a case to answer for in the United States. Edward Snowden, who also leaked classified documents relating to national security in 2013, tweeted that he hoped Assange's case would end once he avoided extradition. Quote, let this be the end of it, end quote, Snowden tweeted. <clears throat> But much like Assange, the former CIA employee's case is far from over, as he also missed out on a presidential pardon today. Former CIA employee and NSA contractor Edward Snowden leaked classified intelligence documents to journalists in 2013, and like Assange, Snowden was also charged with violating the United States Espionage Act, and he has also not received a presidential pardon. The leak showed that the NSA was accessing and collecting data from United States citizens by using a backdoor into companies like Facebook and Google. Among other findings, the leaked documents provided evidence that the NSA was spying on citizens of allied nations and that the NSA was breaking privacy regulations thousands of times a year. The leak sparked a mass debate about the relationship between security and privacy. On one hand, Snowden was, and still is, criticized for dealing immense damage to the United States' national security interests. On the other hand, Snowden supporters argue that the former CIA employee exposed illegal surveillance methods. Senator Rand Paul recently tweeted that he was in favor of Snowden receiving a presidential pardon. Momentum for clemency seemed to grow last October when the president said he would consider pardoning Snowden. Quote, many people think that he should somehow be treated differently, and other people think he did very bad things, President Trump said, adding, I'm going to take a very good look at it. Yeah, it sounds like you didn't look enough. Previously, however, Trump has been one of Snowden's most impassioned critics, describing the former CIA employee as a traitor and calling for his execution. Ooh. Ross Ulbricht, founder and former administrator of the infamous dark net drug market Silk Road, it's sold more than drugs, guys, was also potentially in line for a pardon today, but Ross Ulbricht was not pardoned. Ross Ulbricht created the infamous Silk Road website, and despite calls to the contrary, President Trump did not grant him a pardon. According to the Daily Beast, the president expressed sympathy for Ulbricht, who is currently serving a life sentence without the possibility of parole. Let's correct that. That's two life sentences plus 40 years. That's the actual sentence that he's got, okay? Two life sentences plus 40. Ulbricht's case garnered some support online with with a change.org petition having received over 383,000 signatures to date, calling on the president to pardon him. Quote, my son, Ross Ulbricht, is a first-time offender serving a double life sentence without parole plus 40 years for a website he made when he was 26 years old and passionate about free markets and privacy. This is a sentence that shocks the conscience, and it should. If it doesn't, there's something very wrong with, well, if it doesn't shock you and you're listening to this, stop listening to me because you're a fucking asshole.
Old Brick Silk Road website made use of the Tor network to hide users' identities as they use cryptocurrencies to purchase illegal goods. The website is considered to be the first large-scale dark net market of its kind, but many others have followed since. After Ulbricht was identified as the site administrator, he was sentenced to life imprisonment in May of 2015. Ulbricht reportedly begged the judge to leave a light at the end of the tunnel at his sentencing. A light at the end of the tunnel may still lie ahead for Ulbricht, but it did not arrive today in the form of a pardon from President Trump. Okay, so that's the end of the article, but it's not the end of Ulbricht's story. As much as creepy Joe creeps me right the hell out of the door, we're going to have to start hitting him hard on getting Ulbricht out of there. This is ridiculous. There is there is nothing sane about this sentencing. And I don't know what the judge, I don't know what she was thinking when she pa- <clears throat> passed this thing down, but that judge needs literally needs to be removed from the bench. And I think she's a federal judge, so I think it's pretty much a lifetime uh, lifetime term. But she can be impeached. It's possible. It's been done before. <clears throat> but then she needs to have every license that she's ever had that has anything to do with the law pulled immediately. This is not a human being. This is a monster that's in a robe with a gavel sitting behind a bench executing people with the stroke of a pen. And she's doing it, or she did it to Ross in a way, um, in this particular case, that was, I don't even know, severe is not even a word that, that I can use for this particular thing. There's got to be a word that, that comes even, that's even more onerous than severe, because this sentence, it doesn't even make sense. For a 26-year-old kid <clears throat> who created a website, because honestly, that's what he did. So. Again, if you're one of those people that think Ulbricht or honestly any of these people need to be where they are, I really need you to stop listening to my show because it's kind of embarrassing, just saying, honestly. So we have a price drop in Bitcoin. You want to guess why? Let's get into it. Janet Yellen says cryptocurrencies are a concern in terrorist financing. All right, so I said something about uh, yesterday, <clears throat> Christine Lagarde saying sort of pretty much the same thing, but now it's Janet Yellen, and she was given testimony of some form or whatever yesterday, so let's get into it. This is Coindesk.com, written by Nicholas Day sometime yesterday afternoon. Cryptocurrencies are of a particular concern when it comes to, guess what, terrorist financing, Potential Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said on Tuesday. <clears throat> oh, and by the way, she's not potential Treasury Secretary. She's going to get that. She is going to sit in that chair and she's going to do all the shit that she's ever done before. So there's no potential. It just it's just going to happen. Speaking at a Senate's Finance Committee hearing on her anticipated nomination after President-elect Joe Biden takes office tomorrow, which is actually now today, Yellen said that the United States should be aware of emerging tools for terrorist financing. Let me just stop there. Why is it that these people insist that the base condition of a human being, like sans all other things, right? Just cut, cut everything else away, cut all externalities away, why is the base level of a human being a terrorist, a child pornographer, a child trafficker, a human trafficker, a drug dealer, an assassin? What, why is it that that's the base of the human condition to these people? 
Have you ever thought about what that in, what that implies to the mind of these monsters that have all this power? They literally look at you as scum. That I'm sorry, but they do. And if and I know a lot of people that defend quote unquote the government and I still to this day do not understand why when they have demonstrated again and again and again that when they look at you and they don't know who you are or what you've done, they know nothing about your history, they assume that you're going, <clears throat> that you're a child pornographer or that you're a drug dealer or that you're an assassin or that you're <clears throat> going to strap a bomb vest to yourself and blow up a fucking airplane. Without knowing anything about you, that's where they go. Why? Ask yourself why that's the base condition of the human species and not, shit, dude, I just want you to get out of my way so I can build something that will last. Just food for thought. Continuing on, quote, the technologies to accomplish this change over time and we need to make sure that our methods for dealing with these matters with tech terrorist financing change along with changing technology cryptocurrencies are of a particular concern she said in response to a question by senator maggie hassan who called crypto use and terrorist financing a growing concern you see this narrative being spun up before you they're all using the same freaking language this this isn't like a, a questioning and answer you know back and forth this is a hey janet when we start talking, we need to use particular concern and growing concern. That's how we got insurrection being used everywhere. If you cannot see the pattern of the narrative, you're always going to be in shackles and chains. And I've got a case of Brasso for you to polish those sons of bitches up to a nice buffed shine. Hassan was asking about last year's National Defense Authorization Act, which includes a provision for examining how terrorists might use new financial technologies to raise funds. <coughs> Senator Mark Warner led the provision's inclusion. <clears throat> Quote, I think many cryptocurrencies are used, at least in transaction sense, mainly for illicit financing, and I think we really need to examine ways in which we curtail their use and make sure that any money laundering doesn't occur through those channels, Yellen said on Tuesday. Federal authorities are currently investigating whether a link between a December transaction of 13.5 Bitcoin by now-deceased French computer programmer Laurent Bachelet to right-wing figures in the attempted insurrection, there it is, at the United States Capitol earlier this month. Several of the recipients of the transaction appear to have been at the Capitol on January the 6th. How would you know? That's the thing that I didn't get into. I was going to, I, I kind of wanted to do it, but man, when I got into it, I, all I had, and this was that Yahoo finance article that was based on, oh God, who was it? The, uh, uh, God, the people that track, uh, Bitcoin transactions. I can't remember their name offhand. It's a sack full of cats that need to be thrown off a bridge in either event. Um, when I was looking at it, what what became evident to me is that there was no clear connection between how they figured out that the wallet that a transaction went to, how it was directly connected to the person they said that held the wallet. There was, I saw no evidence, no clear evidence at all that they were able to make those connections from wallet to actual person. And if you don't have that connection and and, and cannot prove that connection, then you don't know where that shit went to. Now, you may know that where it came from insofar that you can definitely connect 
the particular send wallet to this Laurent Bachelier. But even then, I didn't see, I don't, I didn't see any, I just saw them connecting his name to several other names. And I'm like, but that's not how this works. That is not how this works. Unless you know beyond a shadow of a freaking doubt. And that means you were at their home and you saw their private keys and you saw their, their, or, or their receive, at least the receive address. And you saw them be able to send and receive on these addresses that are in, you know, that are of particular, God, I'm saying it too, of particular concern, then you ain't got Jack. You don't have Jack. And that's why I didn't do it. I'm not, I was not going to spend an hour of your time going over obvious bullshit. It's narrative, plain and simple. To finish this off, as Fed Chair Yellen said she didn't want to overregulate the crypto space, though she's also dismissed Bitcoin at various points during her term and immediately after. When she takes office, she'll oversee a number of proposed regulations through the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, including a controversial rule that would require exchanges to collect and store counterparty information for unhosted wallets. Coindesk, stop using their terminology. Stop it. It does not help us at all when you use their words. I don't know. I don't know how you think it does, but, um, and this is also being released in the midst of the tether, the, well, the tether controversy. And I guess if you're new to the space and you're trying to figure out what the hell tether is, you know, I, I, I don't normally really give a shit about Tether, but when Tether becomes a FUD point, then it becomes irrelevant to me. So I think a, a brief history of what the Tether is is probably in order. Well, let's get into this. This is Robert Stevens writing for Decrypt.co, and he's writing exactly about this. It's a Tether controversy. A brief history. It may surprise you to hear that the dominant cryptocurrency in the market today isn't named Bitcoin. Yeah, it is. <clears throat> You're going under the wrong metric. We'll get into it. Tether, a stablecoin pegged to the U.S. dollar, is the backbone of the entire crypto economy. It is far and away the most widely traded crypto asset around and responsible for the vast majority of trading volume. Within the last 24 hours, for instance, Bitcoin recorded approximately $51 billion in volume and Tether clocked in $89 billion. But the market's most important coin, stop saying that, is also its most controversial. Tether's fiercest critics say that the stablecoin artificially props up the market, believe that the coin is a ticking time bomb, and suggest that its eventual demise will one day collapse the entire cryptocurrency market. Hyperbole? Maybe. But maybe not. Nah, it's freaking hyperbole. Critics of USDT argue that the stablecoin isn't actually backed by U.S. or rather real U.S. dollars. They say Tether, much like the villainous Federal Reserve, prints this currency out of thin air. And as soon as people realize this in mass, the value of Tether will drop irreparably and market participants will lose all the money they thought was held in a stable asset. It's a doomsday scenario that seems to crop up every time Bitcoin enters a fresh boom or bust cycle. To wit, an anonymous medium post titled The Bit Short that posits precisely this sort of scenario went viral last weekend just as Bitcoin rises to uncharted heights. Oh, oh, an anonymous medium post went viral. An anonymous medium post went viral. Think about that. We don't know who wrote it. It just popped up and all of a sudden it went, went viral, you know, <laughs> bullshit. 
any in either of it. Oh, well, let's read a couple of these things. Jake Chernivsky tweeted out uh, the the article, the bit short, as well as Ryan Selkis, who I, as of late, do not get along with, although it seems like he might be coming back into the fold of Bitcoin. But Jake said, and Jake is a, is a lawyer, uh, I can't remember who for, but he says, is this article behind all the tether panic today? It's just a lot of could be this, might be that speculation, plus the discovery that traders use USDT for leverage on U.S. exchanges. Guess what? Always has been. <laughs> Tortured into a big leap of logic. That's it? That's all? And then he gives a link to the thing. Ryan Selkis does the same. This is also, he's known as 2-Bit Idiot on Twitter. Says, enough people sent me the Tether FUD piece that I finally read it. It's as stupid as I thought it would be. I hope people read it and get scared off from buying BTC because crypto does not fit their risk profile. Tether's supporter, however, <clears throat> say that the rivals have got it all wrong. Tether truthers simply don't understand market mechanics or the complex nature of Tether's business. And the data, they say, doesn't support the assertion that Tether is used to manipulate the price of Bitcoin. So which is it and how did we get here? Tether started in 2014 under the name Realcoin and is a cryptocurrency pegged to the United States dollar. The company that operates it, Tether Incorporated, claims that the coin is backed by reserves of U.S. dollars deposited by people who want the coin and redeemable at any time. According to the stablecoin issuers, this is how it works. Whenever someone deposits a U.S. dollar to Tether's account, Tether Incorporated, the company that owns Tether, mints one Tether coin in return. But Tether Inc. isn't particularly transparent, and after some probing from the United States government as a result from an ongoing fraud investigation in New York, conceded that its coins aren't entirely backed by U.S. dollars. A paucity of audits of its reserves and an unwillingness to hand over data to regulators stokes the fire of concern, leading critics to believe that Tether is minting coins out of thin air. So the theory goes... Tether would do this to prop up the price of Bitcoin, meaning it could presumably sell all of its holdings. Such an argument was thrust by academics John McGriffin and Amin Shams in a June 2018 article, which postulated that Tether could be printed regardless of the demand from investors. The study concluded that its printing schedule was consistent with a coin that was only partially backed by reserves. The ruckus, entirely unresolved, now finds itself at the center of a several years old crypto fraud case. Like many other crypto companies, Ifinex, the parent company of Tether and cryptocurrency exchange Bitfinex struggled to find real banks to process their financial transactions and store their money. So it resorted to crypto capital, an alleged Panamanian, quote, Panamanian, quote, shadow bank. Crypto capital was run by alleged unscrupulous fellows who have been charged with, among other things, stealing around $850 million of Tether slash Bitfinex's money, including the money that backed Tether's stablecoin. Law enforcement has since frozen some of the funds that remain. To ensure that Bitfinex could satisfy requests for redemptions, Bitfinex, essentially itself, took $650 million in real money from Tether's account and credited Tether's crypto capital account, which didn't actually contain any money since it was all stolen or lost, with $650 million from its own inaccessible crypto capital account. Tether critics, among them the New York Attorney General, argue that iFinex essentially used Tether's reserves as a slush fund to mask the hole in Bitfinex's finances, thereby defrauding its clients. That would also mean that Tether's stablecoins aren't fully backed by the United States dollar. Indeed, Tether later conceded that its stablecoin is only 74% backed by the U.S. dollar. So what does any of this have to do with Bitcoin? 
The issue is that Tether is by far the most popular way to trade Bitcoin. On the top 11 most liquid markets for Bitcoin, according to CoinMarketCap, seven involve Tether. More than that, millions of dollars of Tether get minted each day, often hundreds of millions of dollars. The market cap of Tether is now $24 billion, a 140% increase since August before Bitcoin's bull run, and a 500% increase since this time last year. Some people think that Tether's printing all of this money at will to manipulate the price of Bitcoin. And if it turns out that Tether can't be redeemed for real U.S. dollar, the theory is that the whole market will bottom out and people's holdings will collapse, the bubble will pop. Quote, the moment people realize that all crypto prices are quoted in USDTs and not U.S. dollars, and that USDTs can only be converted into U.S. dollars when you don't need it, the music will stop in a second, wrote Trolly McTrollface, a pseudonymous Tether critic. The critics of these Tether truthers think that this is all wrong. Billions of real dollars back Tether due to an increase in demand. Proof? You can redeem it. <clears throat> Quote, it's sort of funny hearing people claim that you can't create or redeem USDT for dollars. Like, I don't know what to tell you. You can, and we do. Tweeted Sam Bankman-Fried, or Freed, CEO of crypto exchange FTX. And the argument that Tether is printed out of thin air to pump Bitcoin? bogus since tethers are minted after bitcoin price crashes as well as before bitcoin rises a paper from uc berkeley in april concluded that tether minting is entirely uncorrelated with bitcoin's price the reason why tether doesn't disclose audits some people want tether to remain anonymous said larry Cermak, director of research at the block on the on the brink podcast they don't want regulators to know how us dollars turn into tethers and to whom tethers are redeemed that would in all likelihood force tether to disclose its customers some market insiders as well as researchers or research from blockchain data firm chain analysis and those th those are the assholes i couldn't remember the name of suggest that china who's <laughs> whose government banned purchases of bitcoin but turns a blind eye to tether is the driving force behind tether production so the issue, however, is that Tether isn't audited, and since Tether hasn't handed over information to regulators, it's impossible to know. The New York Attorney General's investigation into Tether is ongoing, progressing slowly but steadily through the courts. FinCEN's proposal to force crypto companies to collect personal information of the owners of unhosted wallets, stop using that, <clears throat> could also prick Tether's dominance, since it would mean that Tether must collect information about its sources of Tethers. But that could encroach on civil liberties, say privacy advocates. The Electronic Frontier Foundation has said that one consequence of the regulation would be that the United States government may have access to a massive amount of data beyond just what the regulation purports to cover. Struck between a rock and a hard place, the battle rages on. And this is never going to stop. The only way this stops is if Tether goes away. I don't see Tether going away anytime soon. But... This is, has entrenched itself as a permanent source of FUD that you can pull out of the file cabinet every time Bitcoin does something that you don't want it to do. If you have access to media mouthpieces that, were, that are more than happy to take your money to parrot your bullshit for you. I honestly, I have never understood why Tether scares the shit out of people so bad. Because, <clears throat> let's just put it this way. If all this is true, if the worst case scenario is true, Tether is only used to support the, the price of Bitcoin. It's printed out of thin air. It's not anywhere close to 74% backed by United States dollars. And the whole thing crashes. Then what came first? Well, Bitcoin came first. 
Will it crash the Bitcoin price? Yeah, there'll be fear and panic. There'll be blood in the streets. Will Bitcoin survive or die? No. Why? Why do I know this? Because it never dies. Bitcoin's been through a lot of this shit before Tether was even created. We, you, there was a boom. There was like at least two <clears throat> boom and bust cycles in BTC's life cycle before 2014 and the creation of Tether. And when you think about it, just because Tether was created in 2014, <clears throat> it didn't take. It didn't actually hit the market. Like, well, it it wasn't in widespread use like it is today for at least a couple of years after that. So we get into 2015. 2016 and then by that time you've got widespread use of, of tether and guess what you've already been through three or four boom bust cycles in bitcoin this does not matter it does not matter yes it will hurt in the short term but in the long term it's not gonna matter man i just you know, the people that are screaming about this really need to to change their diapers or something and these guys have already changed their diapers hive blockchain buys 6400 mining machines from canaan to reach 1.2, or I'm sorry, uh, 1,200 petahashes per second. Delivery of those machines are going to be in May. Zach Vol is going to tell us about it from Coindesk.com. Publicly traded cryptocurrency mining company Hive Blockchain announced its purchase of 6,400 mining machines from Canaan, and that will put them at the year in. Uh, they will put it past their year in goal of 1,000 petahashes per second. Once delivered and deployed, Hive will have an estimated operating hash rate of 1,229 petahashes per second, putting the company on track to top its 2021 goal of 1,000 petahashes per second. The order is almost double <clears throat> the less than 3,500 machines Hive bought all of last year. The delivery and deployment of the machines is set to start in May and June with an initial shipment of 500 machines, followed by monthly deliveries of 900 machines for the rest of the year. Along with its plans for continued growth, the Vancouver-based company's market value has soared, reaching $1 billion in early January. Hive shares were largely unchanged, trading around $3.04 at last check, down less than 1% from Tuesday's open. So... Yeah, these guys continue unabated. They're not worried about tether fud. They, I mean, you're you're not, you just don't sink this kind of cash if you're really all that, you know, tremendously terrified of what's happening with tether. And these guys don't give a shit either. The number of Bitcoin whales explodes to all-time highs. There are now roughly 2,440 Bitcoin addresses that hold more than 1,000 BTC worth at least $35 million each. Decrypt.co's Liam Frost the number of Bitcoin addresses that holds 1,000 Bitcoin, which is 34.7 34 million, has more or, or more has surged since the beginning of 2021. 164 new whales have already emerged during January alone. Dude, that's just 20 days. It's the 20th of January. Got 164 new wallet addresses with over a thousand Bitcoin in it. Holy shit. <laughs> okay. According to Cryptometrics platform Glassnode, there are currently nearly 2,440 uh, addresses that have 1,000 or more BTC. However, it's impossible to say whether all these are different users due to the blockchain's inherent anonymity. Pseudonymity, let's get that straight. Some people may have multiple addresses, and some addresses may hold Bitcoin owned by multiple people. Notably, since the chart reflects users' caches in terms of BTC and not the dollar value, the ongoing price rally did not affect the data. This means that new addresses didn't just suddenly and automatically become whales just because Bitcoin price surged rather they actually added 
new coin to their holdings. Per Glassnode's data, the total number of Bitcoin whales dipped between December 18th through the 26th when, Dece- when Bitcoin was trading at roughly 23,000 to 26,400. And at the time, the cryptocurrency had just reached a new all-time high, so some whales... 85 of them to be precise, might have taken advantage of the rally and sold at least some parts of their holdings, leaving the big leagues in the process. Since December 26, when it became apparent that Bitcoin's price wasn't going to stop with just slightly increasing its all-time high, the number of Bitcoin whales started to grow rapidly again. As for Bitcoin itself, the cryptocurrency is currently trading around 34750 which is 6% down on the day, according to CoinGecko. The bull run seems to be slowing down a bit lately because trend-following retail investors might be losing their fervor, as claimed by strategist JP Morgan, who added that BTC needs to push above 40000 to continue its upward momentum. Well, I don't know where you get that number, but whatever. <laughs> Our people throw arbitrary numbers around in this space way too often. On the other hand, institutional investors have recently bought $600 million worth of Bitcoin in just one day via grayscale investments, effectively conducting one of the largest single BTC purchases ever. Some of them may even be a few of these new whales. Yeah, no kidding. All right, man. Uh, Given those numbers, let's run some other numbers. CNBC futures and commodities has oil up almost a point. West Texas Intermediate trading at $53.48. Brent North Sea, $56.32. It is up three quarters of a point. Natural gas doing its general thing down 2.95%. Gold is up almost 0.4%. Yay, $1,847. God, talk about stable coin, man. <laughs> Silver is up 0.3, platinum is up 0.16, copper is up scant, palladium is up a half. Um, let's see, what are our indices looking like? Oh, everybody saved. Dow futures are up 0.13, S&P futures up 0.34, NASDAQ is up 0.76, but the S&P mini is down scant 0.04. Let's talk about real money. $34,537 is what I'm seeing as a price of Bitcoin. That looks to be that looks to be the low. GDAX has a high of $34,732. We have 333,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours. That's 14,000 transactions per hour on average with ooh, a little higher, 734,838 BTC being sent in the last 24 hours. That's 30,000 618 BTC being sent per hour on average with the average transaction value of 2.21 BTC and a median transaction value of 0.025 BTC or about 863 bucks. Block times are low, 9 minutes, 32 seconds. We have 0.6 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and almost 100 BTC being taken overall in the last 24 hours. Everybody got hit. Ethereum is down. Litecoin is down. Bcash is down. They're all freaking down. Let's just do the prices just so you're tracking. Ethereum, with this much lauded quote-unquote all-time high yesterday of $1,400, has dropped precipitously back down to $1,285, pausing to let you know about the Ethereum all-time high. 
If you're judging it against the shitcoin, the U.S. dollar, or any other fiat currencies like the U.S. dollar, then yes, Ethereum hit the all-time high. But why you would judge one shitcoin against another shitcoin and take any kind of solace out of it is beyond my comprehension. Because in terms of Ethereum's all-time high against uh, Bitcoin, the answer is no. A resounding no, it has not hit an all-time high. It's struggling down there in the basement where it belongs. Litecoin is at 143, Bcash 483, uh, BSV at 191. Dogecoin also taking a hit, 0.0088. So it's 88% of one penny. Ethereum Classic is at $7.68. And Dogecoin is beating the pants only off of Ethereum Classic in terms of transactions on a 24-hour basis. Clark Moody is showing 26,572 transactions, and somehow that's going to take 77 blocks to clear. We have a price, he's showing a price of 34,650. We have captured 5.37% of gold's market cap. One Bitcoin will buy you 18.6 ounces of the shiny rock. We have a total market capitalization of $644.7 billion. There are 18,605,550.4 BTC in circulation at this time. There are 1,033.5 BTC in the Lightning Network, and that takes our capacity value down to 35.8 million. It had been holding around 38 million for a while. We have 8,380 nodes in the Lightning Network. We have a total amount of channels of 36,534. Tor capacity continues to fall, but not by much. It's 52%, so it's still the majority of the Lightning Network. There are 537.5 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We're going to start with this piece by Helen Parch from Cointelegraph. Bray's pri Brave private browser integrates IPFS support to desktop version. IPFS is the interplanetary file system. And no, IPFS does not depend on that shitcoin filecoin. Okay, just get that out of your head. You don't need it. I guess if you want to use it, you can, but you don't need Filecoin for IPFS. If somebody's telling you that, they're lying to you or they don't know what the hell is going on. Brave Browser, a popular blockchain-enabled web browser, has integrated native support of Interplanetary File System, or IPFS, to strengthen the access to the decentralized web. According to a January 19th announcement, Brave has integrated IPFS into its desktop web browser for Windows, Mac OS, and Linux, enabling users to install the protocol in a couple of clicks. IPFS is a peer-to-peer -peer hypermedia protocol designed to make the web faster, safer, and more open. The protocol aims to supplement or possibly even replace the Hypertext Transfer Protocol, or HTTP, which is a major client-based protocol used to transfer web pages across a network. In the announcement, Brave pinpointed some crucial issues associated with HTTP. Quote, the underlying protocol of the web is HTTP. 
which dictates where power exists in those applications. HTTP puts publishers in complete control of service availability and data access, making end users passive receivers instead of having agency in the relationship, end quote. As such, the IPFS integration with Brave Browser is a big step towards redefining existing internet architecture, putting individuals in control instead of publishers. Brave said IPFS changes this dynamic by enabling direct communication and sharing between users over a cooperative public network, the firm added. The initial release of support for IPFS provides basic node functionality and Brave plans to introduce more IPFS implementations in 2021, including adding IPFS support to Brave's Android browser. The firm will also experiment with integrating the features of economic models of the Brave Network's utility token, basic attention token, and yes, Filecoin. (laughs) Brave is not the only company experimenting with IPFS. Opera browser officially officially released IPFS native addressing in their Android browser in March of 2020, uh, introducing default support for IPFS on Android 57. Now I have not, I have not integrated this yet with my Brave browser. I am a Brave user. No, I do not use Bat. I don't need it. But honestly, I've used a lot of different browsers. Firefox right now is is just kind of on fire in so far that it's a dumpster fire and I'm getting better performance out of Brave than any other browser that I've ever used and that's why I use it. I don't use Bat, okay? But I there there are some things that I can I can just go ahead and look past the shit coinery here because I think IPFS is going to be very important to the future going forward and I think when we figure out how to integrate that shit with a Bitcoin full node and I, and I don't mean like the IPFS people figuring it out. I mean like us and not even direct integration with a Bitcoin full node. I'm just saying full nodes for running your own, like, you know, a full node Mastodon client to run, to host just yourself and your friends so that you have an onboard ramp into the federated uh, Twitterverse or multiverse or whatever you want to call it, where it's kind of developing. You know, IPFS would work really well here. The use of Keybase, all these things... I think IPFS is going to be a real shot in the arm to um, be able to have some kind of standard between all these things to be able to do, you know, have communications that are stable without an HTTP, you know, uh, proviso on it. So there you go. Uh, I'll install it or see what see what the integration actually looks like. And if it's, you know, if there's any major problems with it, I'll let you know. But Bitcoin, speaking of Bitcoin nodes, the Bitcoin full node count has hit an all-time high. Uh, Cyrus McNally is writing this for Cointelegraph.com. The number of big, oh, wait, what day? Oh, this this morning. The number of Bitcoin nodes is at an all-time high with 11,558 reachable nodes currently active according to bitnodes.io. Another Bitcoin network statics uh, statistics tracker, Coin.Dance, calculates the total number of Bitcoin nodes at 11,613, which is just above the previous high of 11,250 set one year ago this month. The Bitcoin Core Software Update 21.0 was released for public download on January the 14th, 2021, and is currently the fourth most utilized version of the software among nodes. There are currently 619 nodes running this version of the software, which represents about 5.5% of all nodes running some version of Bitcoin Core. Almost 5,000 nodes 
are still running the second most current release of Bitcoin Core 20.1, which remains the most popular. The latest version of Bitcoin Core also introduces a way to create more predictable test nets and implements taproot consensus rules, but not activating them on mainnet just yet. We still need to go through the activation phase. The changes will ultimately serve to increase privacy in Bitcoin transactions as Taproot assures that outputs no longer reveal spending conditions which are needlessly exposed in previous implementations. Removing differentiating features from transactions will also help Bitcoin become a more fungible asset closer in line with Bitcoin investor or inventor Satoshi Nakamoto's original purpose for, quote, digital cash. Up to 25% of all available Bitcoin nodes run on the hidden network Tor, which makes Bitcoin Core 21.0's compatibility upgrade for Tor version 3's hidden services essential as version 2's hidden services will become deprecated later this year. Running a Bitcoin client using Tor adds a layer of privacy by obfuscating the IP addresses of connecting nodes. According to Satoshi, a robust amount of independently operated nodes is considered essential to the success of Bitcoin as its fundamental value relies upon its ability to remain decentralized. Running a node is also a more secure way to self-store Bitcoin and a practice being adopted by a number of hodlers who are increasingly wary of custodial services. Previously known as Bitcoin QT, Bitcoin Core is a software client developed by Vladimir Vanderlein, which is based on reference code written by Satoshi. It is the most popular implementation of the Bitcoin protocol by far, with 98.5% of all nodes running a version of Bitcoin Core software. The rise in Bitcoin nodes is correlated with an increase in the number of Lightning Network nodes and channels, which are also witnessing all-time highs. So that's the end of the article, but that's not the end of our job. If you're not running a node and you've got like three to four hundred dollars laying around, <clears throat> do it. I know it's like three to four hundred dollars is not like not a drop in the bucket to a lot of people, especially not right around now. But the importance of the network is enough to make you at least pause and go, should I spend that money? Because it's honestly, it's just a question about should you spend the money? And the honestly, the 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 most you're gonna pay for is the uh, one terabyte or two terabyte uh, SSD hard drive. Do not use a standard hard drive on this shit. Use an SSD, otherwise your life is gonna be freaking miserable. And their prices are coming down, but still it accounts for pretty much the majority of the cost of the node software that I run, which is my node BTC. I have a Raspberry Pi 4, four gigabyte. I've got a one terabyte Samsung SSD. I've got a case. And I bought the $99 uh, MyNode software so that I could get one-click updates and support the crew over there at MyNode. All in all, I'm in for like 350 bucks, I think, when it's all said and done. But the cost of running the node is the highest price you'll pay. Once you make that decision to do it and support the network and, be, and, and get on the path to complete self-sovereignty as far as your Bitcoin is concerned, Everything else is really freaking easy. I mean, it was easy for me to set up my node with the MyNode BTC software. And and you don't have to use MyNode just because I use it. It was just that's what was that's what I got. But Umbral is now out and I'm hearing really good things about it. There's um God, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of places where you can run a full node and they make it really easy to run it. Okay, the only thing that you have to make a real decision on is if you're going to pay the money to buy the stuff and take the time to do it. And the time, honestly, 
you're like, if you do it right and you follow the instructions, it's 15 minutes behind the keyboard and then a whole bunch of waiting. And you don't, and you can go watch TV or go out and mow the lawn. And it's going to take, you know, I think it took mine three days to sync up the entire blockchain. But do it now. If you're going to run a node, now is the time to run it. Not only because the blockchain is still like roughly 340 gigabytes, I think, somewhere around there. <clears throat> but um, you want to do that now before, like, if you wait for like, oh, I'll do it in three years. Well, the chain's going to be even longer. It's going to take even longer to sync. So if you get ahead of it and become a full node operator, you might find we might find ourselves in situations that are very pleasant to be in and you want to do it sooner rather than later. Uh, now, one of the things that you don't want to do is buy, buy shit coins. Why? Because Zcoin, which is now Firo, is currently suffering a 51% attack. Gee, who would have guessed? Crypto Potatoes, George Georgiev, is writing this one sometime this morning. The privacy coin Firo, which is formerly known as Zcoin, is currently going through a 51% attack. The team has yet to share further details, though they've clarified they are working with exchanges and pools at the time of the writing. Uh, privacy coin Firo is currently going through a 51% attack. Yep, the team made it clear it is not a coding error, but a nature of proof of work. The fact that you don't have very much is probably the reason. Moreover, the most recent update reveals that they are currently working with exchanges and pools. Additionally, they say that chain locks that would have prevented this were being tested on testnet and was weeks away from deployment. At the time of writing, the price of Firo has slid by about 15%. 51% attacks are not new to cryptocurrency. Just last year, Crypto, uh, Crypto Potato reported that Ethereum Classic went through yet another such incident. According to the popular analytics source Crypto51, the cost of attacking Bitcoin's network through a 51% attack would be approximately $716,000 per hour, making it by far the most secure network out there. Yeah, this is that's why I shitcoin or wow. I can't believe I said that. That's a, such a Freudian slip. I'm going to get hosed for that. This is why I Bitcoin. This is why I do not shitcoin. That's all I have to say about that one. Uh, now yeah, lesson in what's called uh let's see, let's do that one later. Um, let's see where are we at. Yeah. Are Bitcoins are, are Bitcoiners assholes? Are you an asshole? Am I an asshole? We may be assholes because George McKyle has this one out of Bitcoin magazine. He wrote it yesterday. We've been dubbed toxic Bitcoin maximalists as an attempted insult. We don't flinch. We wear it as a badge of honor. We make no apologies for our matter of factness, our confidence or our meme warfare. You can find us on Twitter responding to weak arguments against Bitcoin. They're all weak <laughs> with have fun staying poor rather than attempting to persuade the unserious opponent or lazy critic. Michael Saylor aptly refers to Bitcoiners as cyber hornets, not just because hornets have stingers, but presumably because hornets serve a greater purpose that sustains the broader ecosystem. The thing is, Bitcoiners are right, which necessarily means every other economic philosophy is wrong. The end. Gold ain't it. Fiat is basically toilet paper. Altcoins? Lol. No, Bitcoin is the solution. Our conviction in Bitcoin's inevitability is a naturally emergent phenomenon that exists as a feature to kill the bugs. This isn't to suggest that an absence of our hilarious memes would weaken the network, but just like hornets who serve to prevent the harmful spread of per, uh, pervasive insect populations, our proactive aggression is literally protecting, protecting the future of humanity by preserving our one shot at the promise of liberation from tyranny. 
A passive or defensive posture simply will not do. By protecting the network in its early stages, we continually pave the way for Bitcoin's ascent and its inevitable dominance as a global currency. This service to the world community is underappreciated and vastly misunderstood. That's okay. Our vigilance is our evangelism. In a word world of subjective truth, our conviction is our marketing. In a culture inundated with hopelessness, our genuine optimism provides unexpected encouragement for those starving for authenticity. God, that is well put, dude. The world we inhabit has become a cesspool of lies and violence. Very little good remains present under the sun. Every institution has become corrupted. Orwell's vision is upon us and few seem to care. It is evident that society is being reset by powerful forces. And as we experienced in 2020, things are getting weird. Bitcoiners agree that a reset is needed, though we insist and will prevail in facilitating a reset denominated in Satoshi's, a reset, if you will. Bitcoin itself is the answer to just about every macro problem humanity faces. This fact is increasingly obvious to any person who bothers to watch a quality YouTube video lasting 10 minutes with a sincerely open mind. That is, if YouTube hasn't already banned that video, being the corrupt institution that it has become. We inhabit times marred by an ongoing existential emergency that requires focused vigilance in order for us to overcome. Bitcoiners are among the kindest, most dependable, and generous people on earth. One of our most popular memes is an exhortation to remain humble. We possess a deep desire to see our fellow human and Hugh woman <laughs> flourish. We use humor to make our points while insisting the seriousness and urgency of our present moment in history. We don't need gratitude, but we are aware of the importance of being early adopters in our ability to see where things are headed if we don't correct course with haste. When I was a teenager, I played a lot of video games and was a bit lazy. Okay, I was hella lazy. I will never forget the day my dad confronted me and said, George, you need to stop wasting your life and start taking your future seriously or you are going to be a loser. Ooh, damn, dad. It was in Arabic, which, as you can imagine, made it more intense. So this is a loose translation. It obviously stuck with me and was a turning point in my life. I didn't like hearing that, but it was exactly what I needed to hear. Not too long ago, I started recognizing similar patterns in my own teenage son and naturally dropped the same blunt wisdom on him, but in English. The next day, he said to me, Dad, you're right, and it got me thinking. Thank you. Now he's watching Ministry of Nodes tutorials and asking detailed questions about Clark Moody's dashboard. Yes, I'm crying. I love my son much more than strangers on Twitter. But in many ways, the wisdom the Bitcoiners are attempting to impart on anyone we encounter is not too different from those stories. It's quite simply time to look around and stop being compliant. It's time to take our lives and our future seriously. And if you're not convinced, well, there's not much left to say besides have fun staying poor. George, dude, that was awesome, man. Oh, that was really nice. Um, let's do this last one here. Let me make sure. Yeah, let me do this last one. Crypto winner. Bitcoiners use mining rigs as heaters as temperature drop. Okay. <clears throat> this is fun function stacking in permaculture. I've talked about the, the relationship between Bitcoin and permaculture. I, I really try to find places where there's like massive overlap and allegory. Well, this is one. And function stacking, well, we'll get to that. Let's read this first. This is Turner Wright. He's writing it for Cointelegraph sometime yesterday. 
Bitcoiners mining cryptocurrency at home this winter have been staving off freezing temperatures by putting them to good use as heaters. According to the Wall Street Journal, crypto miners in France and the United States report their overall heating costs have dropped, even if the temperature in their homes often gets far above what they'd prefer. Thomas Smith, a photographer based in California, has been using mining rigs to heat his home since at least 2019. He's also been exploring some novel uses, including employing the miners to warm up his two chickens in an outdoor coop and to grow tomatoes in his greenhouse as temperatures started plunging at night. It's not the first time the idea has been implemented, with reports in 2018 that the co-founder of Czech cryptocurrency exchange Nakamoto X had been growing crypt tomatoes in five-acre greenhouse using the excess heat from his crypto mining. Quote, my greenhouse is 24 cubic feet, so putting in all the heat from the cryptocurrency mining computer would increase its temperature by around 40 degrees, said Smith in the Wall Street Journal. Even in the dead of winter, with a nighttime temperature of 45 degrees, that would still push my tomatoes to their 85-degree limit. On warmer nights, it would risk roasting roasting them alive on the vine. Whoa, he added, quote, I've experimented with heating my home using cryptocurrency mining waste heat on a small scale with a good deal of success. Before the pandemic, when many were allowed to live on university campuses in the United States, students reported mining with free electricity provided by the schools, which helped them cover utility bills. One dormitory resident advisor said at the time that instead of using a space heater in the winter, he would simply mine cryptocurrency. But before you rush off to save on heating bills with the crypto mining rig, remember that it's difficult to take advantage of mining many cryptocurrencies at home as the cost of electricity often makes using personal computers to generate blocks financially prohibitive, especially for ultra competitive currencies like BTC. All right. So fun- getting back to function stacking as a one of the base tenets of the design science that is permaculture, you've got to find a way to have one thing do two things. That's the whole point of function stacking. And it gets it, it gets way more complicated than that, but if you boil it down to the most simplistic thing, it's basically saying, what can I do that solves two problems at once? Hopefully in the exact same space. Well, this is one of them. This is a function stack. I'm going to mine cryptocurrency and I've got a shit ton of waste heat. What do I do with it? Well, heat my home in the winter, heat the chickens in the winter, heat a greenhouse in the winter. And it gets even better than that. Because if you boil it down, if you were to actually boil it down to a situation where let's say you had the ability to build a greenhouse in a single day that was, let's say, 10,000 square feet. And it it can be done. We just got to figure out a way for rapid deployment. And that greenhouse came with a whole bunch of piping. Well, and then you set that thing down in like, oh, I don't know, in the middle of winter in West Texas, next to an oil rig that is spouting, or well, not a rig, but like a production unit that is actually venting natural gas. And you take that natural gas and you turn it into, uh, you pipe it into a generator, okay, which is an engine, which needs cooling, and then you use a whole bunch of uh, mining rigs to mine Bitcoin, well, guess what? You've got a shit ton of waste heat, not only from the mining rigs themselves, which you can put inside the greenhouse to keep them out of the weather, but you've got 
the radiator from the engine that is driving the uh, generation of electricity for the mining rigs and that puts out a shit ton of waste heat too. If you take all of that and you throw it into 10,000 square feet, you got to end up doing some math to figure it out. But yes, it's possible to be able to have a greenhouse in the middle of West Texas in the middle of winter and have a bumper crop because the heat you don't have to worry about freezes or frost or 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 chills that that slow metabol uh, metabolic rate of the plants, and yeah, yeah, that's a way to function stack again. So not only are you harvesting the waste heat from the miners to pump into the greenhouse, you're harvesting the waste heat from the generator used to generate the electricity. Honestly, if you do this shit right, there it's I, I've got an idea. Uh, in my head about the possibility of doing this with another system and not oil or, or, or natural gas recovery, but something else that would even provide a product on the back end of that, being able to sell it in sacks to like gardeners, all right, and still be able to harvest the waste heat of the generator and the waste heat of the function. Like, honestly, there would be like three heat sources there would be the conversion of mass into a different kind of mass and harvesting that heat. And then the one of the products from that process is a type of gas that is highly flammable and is used to run natural gas-based generators that can then generate heat and electricity. So I've got three products coming out of the first. That two of those product or one of those products pipes into the generator that releases heat, which is a product, and electricity, which goes to feed mining rigs, which produce Bitcoin and heat. So I'm getting heat three different times. I'm getting a product off the first situation. I'm getting a product off the second situation. I'm getting a product off the third situation. That's function stacking. Honestly, I'm kind of excited about the idea, but I haven't done the math. And I'm afraid that if I set it down into a... Uh, spreadsheet i'm going to find out oh no freaking way but all that said that's going to do it for the morning roundup daily train wrecked is brought to you by soldier boy also known as draco he says join robin hood with my link and we'll both get a free stock Yep, as somebody on Twitter said, uh, it's because Soldier Boy started tweeting about cryptocurrency that we ended up all, all all in this in this little rut that we're in, and he did that. That was yesterday, and he started this this uh, bear move to the bottom. He also says stupid shit like, "What's the best way to buy crypto? Uh, is there an app?" Just wanted to make sure I was using the best platform for investing. It goes on and on and on, and he just won't shut up. People are like, you know, giving him, uh, let's see, uh, Stephen Ehrlich replies to him. Clayton Blaha replies to him. All these people with check marks are replying to this guy. And it's like, stop feeding the fire. I mean, this thing goes on until, I mean, it's like, I don't know. It was like the spread of just him just tweeting about cryptocurrency. It's just sick. Anyway, there's your smoldering pile right there now. Let's get into this one. Why didn't four ask five out? 
because he was too squared. Yeah, that's a terrible math joke from Dad Says Jokes. Just figure, you're going to have to figure it out. Anyway, I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.